Welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. How are we doing, guys? It's good to be back from our school holidays. Good to be back into Jeremiah. Who enjoyed the school holidays? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably asking the wrong half of the church who enjoyed the school holidays, aren't I? I think the half that enjoyed school holidays probably just left. But it is interesting, isn't it, how holidays as we get older can kind of change sometimes. Some holidays can maybe get better. And like Valentine's Day, you know, when you're five years old, what does Valentine's Day have value for? But a lot of holidays can sort of change. Like for one instance, New Year's Eve. Like who actually still enjoys New Year's Eve as an adult? All right, a lot less than the school holiday crowd. Because what happens is when you're a kid, New Year's Eve is great, right? Because you get to stay up till midnight. Like, it's a real treat. It's exciting. It's something that is special and unique. You get to stay up till midnight. And then at some point, you become an adult and you have to stay up until midnight. And suddenly everything changes. And the sheen that was on New Year's Eve isn't so exciting anymore because I kind of had this realization a few years ago when um, we went up to Em and Mary's dad's place for New Year's Eve. It was New Year's Eve 2020 and we had sort of, you know, done done the things. We'd watched the obligatory fireworks. We'd, you know, watched the whatever ex-member of Cold Chisel was playing at the New Year's celebration that year and, you know, it was about, you know, the very noble time of 1220 I thought, okay, I think it's time to go to bed. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ready. I'm, I'm ready to hit the hay. And then the room that we were staying in at his place had this window that looked out on a neighbor's house. And these were the kind of people who still got to stay up until midnight. They were very, very excited. There was people laughing, drinks pouring, friends laughing. Everything was going great and it was getting louder and louder. I'm thinking, how am I going to get to sleep in this room? And then all of a sudden, in the middle of a party, and I hear a teenage girl yell out, what the beep, Connor? See, young, sweet Connor had thought in his infinite wisdom, you know, this party is great. Like This party, we're having a great time. You know what would really make this party a 2020 party. Like, um, we're back in 2019. That we're going to take it to the next level. I'm going to get Hannah's mum's pot plant and smash it in the middle of the dance floor. That's what's really going to take this party to the next level. Unfortunately, Connor was very, very, very wrong. See, smashed pot plants typically don't start parties. They tend to end parties. And unfortunately for M and I, smashed pots also don't help neighbours stay asleep. Turns out that smashed pots are actually very effective at waking up neighbours. And whether it's 1am on the 1st of January 2020 or the 500 BCs in Jerusalem, smashed pots can either wake people up from a very physical sleep or they can wake people up from a spiritual sleep. That's what Jeremiah is kind of doing in this passage we're going to look at today. In Jeremiah 19, the Lord says to Jeremiah, go and buy a clay jar from a potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and the priests and go to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, near the entrance of the potsherd gate. Um, Just quickly, potsherd, 
I didn't realize this. Potsherd is a word specifically used for shards of pot. So the Potsherd Gate in Jerusalem was a place where potters, we assume, would take their broken pots, their misformed pots, and smash them at this gate outside the city. So kind of think of this outside city gate that's just covered everywhere with shattered, half-broken, misformed pots. And this is where Jeremiah takes the elders of Israel to do this strong, powerful prophetic act. God says to Jeremiah, there proclaim the words I tell you and say, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, listen, I'm going to bring a disaster on this place. It will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. For they have forsaken me and made this a place of foreign gods. They've burned incense in it to gods that neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They've built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call this place Topeth or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. And he says to Jeremiah, then break the jar while those who go with you are watching and say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will smash this nation and this city just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. They will bury the dead in Topeth until there is no more room. This is what I will do to this place and to those who live here, declares the Lord. I will make this city just like Topeth. The houses in Jerusalem and those of the kings of Judah will be defiled like this place. Topeth, all the houses where they burned incense on the roofs to all the starry hosts and poured out drink offerings to other gods... Jeremiah then returned from Topeth where the Lord had sent him to prophesy and stood in the court of the Lord's temple and said to all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, listen, I'm going to bring on this city and all the villages around it every disaster I pronounced against them because they were stiff-necked and did not listen to my words. Whew. It's going to wake you up, isn't it? You would think, anyway, you would think that maybe that would be something that would wake people up from their spiritual slumber. See, this, this prophetic sign act that Jeremiah performs of smashing this clay pot is trying to wake Israel up because they're fallen asleep at the wheel and they're ultimately heading for an almighty crash because the armies of Babylon are going to come they're going to take them. They're going to smash the city and the nation of Israel and take them off into exile, as we've been looking at in this Jeremiah series. Because they've all fallen asleep spiritually. Their hearts have hardened. Their necks have become stiff and their eyes are blinkered to what God's heart is, what his desire is, what his spirit is saying to them. There may be some of us in this room this morning who have fallen asleep spiritually. Maybe this week, this month, this year, this decade. Have our hearts become hardened? Have our necks become stiff? Are we blinkered to what God is saying to us? 
So, so what is, is Jeremiah actually doing? Why is Jeremiah trying to wake Israel up? What's, what's so bad about what Israel are doing? Well, first of all, and probably the most obvious, is sacrificing their kids to a pagan god by fire. I mean, if you have to rate things that are bad, that's probably, that's, that's right at the top of the list, right? And, you know, at this point, we're probably going to pat ourselves on the back and go, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I can safely say I've never tried to or successfully sacrificed my child to a pagan god by fire. I should hope so. But what happens is when we forget the context of that time and how this applies to our day, we completely lose the value that this text has for us. We forget, it's so easy to forget, that these people living in Jerusalem, these Israelites, they were real flesh and blood people who really loved their children, had a natural biological attachment. So why would anybody in their right mind be so willing to make such a costly and awful barbaric sacrifice? What's going on? Well, they were sacrificing their children to Baal, who was a Canaanite Phoenician god, and he was the god of rain and fertility. Rain and fertility. What does rain and fertility mean for people living in an agrarian culture? It means that they'll have many future children, that they'll have an abundant crop, that they'll have an abundant group of livestock, that ultimately they will be prosperous financially. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say in many ways Baal was a god of prosperity and they were sacrificing their children to the false promise that they would be prosperous if they made this sacrifice. What are we sacrificing today for the god of prosperity? the idol of money may not be by fire but are we sacrificing our physical and emotional and mental well-being so that we can earn more money and amass more wealth are we sacrificing quality time with our friends family maybe even sacrificing time with our children or grandchildren so that we can amass more wealth and prosperity and financial security are we even sacrificing our relationship with god so that we can have a bigger house or go on a longer overseas holiday to a more fancy hotel? What are we sacrificing today for our prosperity in each of our lives? Because our world says money is God. And it can be very easy to fall into that trap when we are rewarded and encouraged to make these sacrifices to build more prestige in a job title, to earn more money, to amass more material objects and possessions. It's an easy trap to fall into. And I don't want to bang on about this for too long, but I do want to say, I think that's part of the reason why tithing is so important. Because in a world that says money is God, a decision to put the first part of what we earn and take it and give it back to God declares no. Money isn't God. Money is God's. It belongs to God. All good things come from God. Every breath we take, including the money that we amass through our hard work. And I think this is a really powerful action that we can do to ensure that money doesn't become our God, but we are reminded again and again that money belongs to God. All good things come from and belong to God. 
Now, there's another kind of weird pagan ritual that Jeremiah refers to in this powerful prophetic oracle. And this is these people who burn incense on their rooftops to starry hosts. What is going on there? Well, there's maybe two suggestions that the scholars attribute to that. The first one is maybe it was a cult practice to the worship of Asherah, who was another Semitic goddess who was, again, fertility. <laughs> again and again and again, it comes back to prosperity. That's one, that's one interpretation. Another thought is that this was some sort of ancient horoscope, star sign interpretation. Because what's really interesting is, I don't know about you, but quite often I think of horoscopes and star signs as a new age thing. But the historical evidence shows that the Mesopotamians had developed astrology and horoscopes like 2,000 years before Jeremiah. It may have not been the exact same style and function and frame that we would see it today in the back of a magazine, but it was a very similar idea of looking to the stars for divination, to figure out what the gods' desire were for people's lives. And ultimately... Horoscopes and star signs have a little bit of an allure sometimes of seeming like some innocent fun. I'm not going to lie. I've got multiple family members who have said to me over the years, oh, you are such a Pisces, and I don't really know what that means. But I'm not going to lie. It piques my curiosity a bit. I'm like, what do you mean I'm such a Pisces? What do you, what do you mean? How do you view me right now? How do you understand me? What does that mean for the way that you view me and the way that I move through the world? What does that maybe even mean for my future? Because I think it's a very sincere human desire to know and be known. That's a very deep and sincere human desire that I think God has placed on all of our hearts to know and be known to know the plans that God has for us, to know who we are. But what happens is when we allow the fact that we're a Sagittarius to define our identity and our purpose more than the fact that we're a daughter of God or a son of God, then we're ultimately allowing the wrong information to define us, to inform us, and to cast us further into the future that God has for us. It can be a really easy trap, but a very, very slippery slope. Because we all deeply desire to know and to be known. And we don't want to be looking to the stars for that, but the one who created the stars and the sun and the universe. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah knows his identity. And he allows this to inform his mission, his purpose. In the first chapter of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That is a deep sense of knowing. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And we see throughout Jeremiah that although he doesn't always love it, although he finds it a struggle, that he faithfully, for the most part, follows that commission of God to be a prophet to the nations. What are you allowing to inform your identity? Because when Israel forgot their identity and their purpose because they had hard hearts and stiff necks, 
they had an identity crisis. And not knowing who they are, they yell out to the stars, who am I? What should I do? Can't we all feel that way at times when we lose sight of the fact that we are children of God? When we lose track of the fact that God has a plan for us and He wants us to walk in that daily. Maybe you don't look to stars in the sky to define what your identity or your purpose is. Maybe the stars that you look to are ones that live in the Hollywood Hills. Maybe you look to celebrities and social commentators to define your identity and your purpose. Maybe you allow negative or unhelpful words of friends and family members to distort the view of who you are and what you're made to be. Maybe you're allowing the lies of the enemy to speak into your heart and ultimately fracture the vision, the plan that God has for you. God wants to bring you back this morning because there is, there is a hope. Because see, Israel, were tragically, they were spiritually broken and then ultimately Jeremiah's prophecy of the broken pot became true when the Babylonians came in and destroyed the city and took the entire nation into exile. But there is hope in Jeremiah. And we actually see it in this context, a chapter earlier in Jeremiah 18. It writes, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and saw the potter working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from clay was marred in his hands. It wasn't working out the way he had hoped. It was starting to bend. Has anyone ever seen a pottery wheel as somebody's trying to make a pot that's spinning and suddenly something goes wrong and the whole thing just falls into a useless pile of mud on the wheel? The pot had become marred. It had collapsed. It had fallen apart. The vision that the potter had had in that moment had completely fallen into disrepair. So the potter formed it into another pot shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, Israel. It is so easy in our lives to feel like there are elements that are too far gone to be salvaged by God. It might be a project, it might be a dream, it might be a relationship, it might be the fact that you feel like you are too far gone, too unworthy to be in the presence and in relationship of your Creator God. And we can fear that there's no coming back, that we are now just a useless, shattered pot that's going to be left abandoned outside the city gates. But there's hope because the potter's hands are doing something new. He's going to reuse this clay, inform it into his perfect plan. I might just call up the band. We have a choice this morning, church. We can be like a brittle shard of pottery outside the city gates, or we can take the invitation to come back into the potter's hands, to be shaped for his call, 
for his purpose, for his identity in your life. I'd like us all just to close our eyes and bow our heads. And if there's people here this morning who are feeling that they're in a place that felt too far gone, that they want to be restored this morning, that they want to come back into the hands of God, that they want to be redeemed and redefined by the hands of Christ around you. I just encourage you to put your hand up now to say, God, I want to be in your hands. If there's anyone here this morning who's deeply yearning to return to the potter's hands, just encourage you to put your hand up now and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, come into my heart. Holy Spirit, come into my world. I want to be molded into the person that you have always planned. I want to be in your presence. Come Holy Spirit, awake our souls this morning. Form us into a closer likeness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.